Welcome to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Kristen Bowen about magnesium soaks, building your board of directors, and our shared experience with honey garlic as a medicinal remedy. Let's join the conversation. Welcome, Kristen. Living the good life naturally. Sounds like a winner to me. So share with us a little bit about your journey. So my journey started with a crash, actually. And at the time, I thought it was the worst thing that had happened to myself and my family. Uh But looking back 20 years later, it opened the door to the best thing that ever happened. So talk to me about the crash, because if it was a crash, I'm sure there's a story behind that too. So So talk to me about that. Just very quickly went in for a bladder tie up after Mm -hmm. a baby was born. Okay. And on the table, my heart stopped. And long story short is what happened is they put in titanium. I went in with an autoimmune disorder. At the time, Western thinking was that titanium was inert, Mm -hmm. but we now know that there's a small percentage of people that have an allergic reaction to titanium. The second problem was the cadaver graft for the bladder was purchased off market and had mold. And you combine that with the autoimmune that I took into the surgery and those three things collided and crashed my body. I ended up in a wheelchair with seizures, feeding tubes, catheters. Three and a half years of my life I lost. Wow. Wow. The perfect storm of just completely just all the things that could potentially go wrong, going wrong. Yeah. And sometimes that is, unfortunately, things are happening to us and not necessarily, you know, things that we had any direct control over. And so now that you're here, you Mm -hmm. have used that experience to catapult you into this next stage, this new stage, this new journey that you're on. And I now know that you're super passionate about magnesium and all its associated benefits. (laughs) So talk to me about how you got to this place and what made it motivate you to stay the course. So after they took the titanium out, the seizure stopped. Okay. My body was a wreck, though. Uh, there were yeah. very few foods I could eat. I I was just having lots of issues. Right. And so I just started chasing anything that I heard that had helped somebody. I'd buy it or try it or supplement it or just anything. My husband actually took a leave of absence to help me because I was so sick and we had young children in our home and I needed right. to get better. And I kept learning about magnesium and the benefits of magnesium, but I couldn't take a pill because Mm. at that point, my digestion still couldn't handle a pill. Right. And so I learned about soaking in Mm. magnesium. And it was through that process and that education that I realized, oh, wait a minute, this magnesium 
is varying from brand to brand. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's watered down and sometimes it it gives me a weird taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. That's when it had high heavy metals. Right. And so I realized my health was so important to me. I had lost so much things that can never be replaced with yeah. my family ages and stages with my children. And I realized I didn't want someone else in charge of the mm. quality of that magnesium because we know now more than as a society, more than any other time, I think collectively, we understand that vitamin D is such an important part of our immune system. Absolutely. And that magnesium activates our stored vitamin D to go to our active vitamin D that strengthens our immune. So I knew that magnesium was a foundational piece. And as I started soaking and got my red blood cell numbers up, I realized that oral synthetic magnesium cannot do what soaking in magnesium can do. It can give you benefits, absolutely. But my goal was not to chase symptoms to build that strong foundation and to do that started with magnesium. Okay. And you talk about soaking and I know not everyone is familiar with soaking Mm -hmm. with magnesium or in magnesium. So talk to me a little bit about that process and not necessarily in all the details in terms of what you did, but in terms of just, you know, orally popping a supplement or because there's a million oral supplements out there right now. Um, There's a supplement literally for everything. And we all know that every supplement is not created equally because they have fillers. Sometimes they have carcinogenic material, teratogenic material that's harmful for babies or, you know, women who are pregnant or trying to conceive. So talk to us about soaking and how that differs from oral intake. So instead of taking it orally, I soak in it, which means it bypasses my digestion. You take Mm -hmm. it in through your skin, just like you would a hormone patch or a nicotine patch. Mm -hmm. Your skin absorbs that. And my goal with magnesium is to achieve cell saturation. And you can't do that with oral synthetic magnesium. You would have to take so much that you would have stomach problems from that. And so we want that magnesium that we're soaking in. We want it to be a sea brine. You can buy very inexpensive um, magnesium soaking materials, but they've been manufactured in a lab and Mm -hmm. it doesn't move that red blood cell number. And that's my goal to achieve cell saturation, not just um, help a muscle or relax a little bit at night or Mm -hmm. get my digestion moving with magnesium citrate, but to actually have every red blood cell surrounded by magnesium. I love that. And I think you've, you've mentioned so many different things chasing symptoms. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people that they're caught in that wheel or that cycle, it's very easy. So simple to get caught in that um, symptom chasing pathway because they hear one thing over here. They read one thing on the internet. They, you know, someone celebrity says this on TV. And so now they're like, I'm going to do this for two weeks. That hasn't worked in two weeks. I'm going to try this for another three months. That didn't work. Or they're doing all the things together. And then they come to our office and they're on, you know, 17 different supplements of different variations. And again, the main thing that they're trying to resolve still hasn't been resolved. They're still taking all these various different supplements. And it's like, how long have you been taking this? What were you taking it for? Who prescribed it? Are you taking other medication? And now it's like nothing. We don't know what's working with what, what's working against what. And it's now all of these things. And I tell people now you have really expensive urine, but you're not really getting the benefits of any of this because it's just overtaxing your system. Your digestion's not able to metabolize this and Mm -hmm. your liver's working overtime. So now not only are you not addressing the, thing that you really or the symptom that you really want to address or alleviate yourself of, you might be doing some damage in other places too. So I appreciate you talking about symptom chasing because that's important. I like how you talked about bypassing that P450 system, which the digestive system and sometimes, you know, with metabolizing medication and other things, it's hard because there's so many different ways that it works, can work for you, but it also can work against you and really getting to cell saturation. So many different important parts that you highlighted there. 
So tell us your why. I know you talk about being super specific about why you do the things you do, the work that you do, the just the life that you live. So talk about who you who are you doing this for? How who, how did you get healthy and and remaining healthy and you know living naturally and living in this pathway or living in this type of lifestyle? Tell us what your why. So my why for my health are is simple. I want to be the grandma that runs and plays. Yeah. Not the grandma that just sits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. want to be the grandma that they know to grab their shoes because here we go on the next adventure. Yeah. And I want to make sure I'm, because so many times I see the pattern of people who get healthy, but that's mm-hmm. all they do. Right. They're just completely focused and it's taken over their life. And yeah. I'm passionate about a lot of things. And I want to have the energy and the mind that I can follow through on those passions. For my business, my why is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in a home that there was abuse and basic needs were not met. And I think, you know, if there would have been a person who was tapped into that and had the energy, had the, the thinking of, oh, I've got the time to help this little girl, my entire life would have changed. So my why is children. I want to help women wake up in the morning and feel good because when they do, they change the world. They immediately, when they feel good, they want to start doing this or doing that and helping this person and doing this thing versus a woman who thinks, oh, please, just 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. And really think about it. 15 more minutes is not going to make a difference at all in terms of being rested. And so my my why are those children. I I want to create a world where children are taken care of and their needs are met. And we need healthy people to do that. I love that. I absolutely love that and hearing that and truly being able to not just connect it to your own health and wellness, not just connect it with your family, but like the specificity, like you mentioned, like not just being a grandma, and that role, but a grandma who's active, engaged mm-hmm. in her grandchildren's lives. That's important because not everybody has that opportunity, let alone the opportunity to engage in that way. And so that's super important. And also in terms of you tie that to not just professional and personal, but also uh, business as well, and really making sure that carries forth in every aspect of your life. Yeah. So well, I think it's so yeah. important on our why. If your why doesn't light you up, it's not yeah. enough of a why. It's got to yeah. get you excited just just when you think about it to right. light you up. And so that the more specific I see a woman creating her why, the easier it is to follow through on those action items. And I think you talk about that why meaning to light you up. I always think about that white heat, that white heat that's even hotter than the red hot heat. And yeah. when it turns white, like there's like... It's, it's on fire. You literally are on fire. I love and that it, visual. Yes. And it's like it's inside you. And it's not just rating, aiding out like a, a flame. No, it's inside. It's at the core of you. And that it cannot be separated from your personal being, your professional being, your social life, your vocational life, because it's already a part of you. And it's rating not just from outside, but it's rating out from like the inner, inner core of you and who you are as a, a, just a being. So I appreciate that. As patients, some people arrive at their practitioner's office with signs and symptoms, kind of like you did mm-hmm. in hand, supplements in hand, and they <laughs> expect to be fixed. What role do you feel personal responsibility has in health, wellness, and the healing processes? For me, it was huge. I grew up, my father was a doctor, okay. and so I grew up in a very Western medical home. Yeah. And the pattern that I absorbed was I went to the doctor and laid my responsibility on him or her. Mm-hmm. And I would want to have more energy or I would want this to happen or that to happen, not ever addressing the fact I wasn't hydrated, I wasn't getting enough sleep, I wasn't eating food that was nourishing my body. And so my crash really helped me pull those pieces apart and take back the things I needed to be responsible for. And then 
It also shifted my perspective in that I go to a doctor now not to have them fix me and get me feeling better, but I'm bringing them on at my board of directors. I'm the CEO. I'm going to them for their wisdom, their advice, their knowledge, what they're seeing. I take that information and filter it and ultimately make that decision that's best for me. And so instead of weighing a doctor down, I'm going in carrying that that responsibility and more accountability. Wow. Talk to us about, I like that analogy about the board of directors. How does one go about selecting their board of directors mm-hmm. or forming a board of directors for their own personal health and wellness? I think it's so important that we recognize that we don't do it by ourselves and we want people around us that do it well. Mm -hmm. And this is one of my favorite ways to describe this. Um, My oldest son is a financial advisor and he is so good at what he does. He's very literal, he's very linear, and he does things to the penny. I have a daughter who is incredibly creative and loves to cook and create and paint and sing and sew and loves fashion. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to know what shoes were working with an outfit, I am not going to go to that financial advisor's son and say, hey, what do you think? Do you think these look really good today? His reply to that would be, how much did they cost? And Mm -hmm. what's that going to average out per wear during the lifetime of that shoe, Mm -hmm. where Megan, my daughter, would look at me and say, oh, colors and and this or that, or have you tried this? And so I'm bringing people onto my board of directors and utilizing their strengths. Where are their passions? What are the things that they're really good on? Because when I go to that oldest son, when I need help setting up a nonprofit Mm -hmm. to help me fuel some passions that I have to make a difference in the world or to set up an educational fund for my grandchildren to help with educational expenses. He's all over that. That's his passion. That's his zone of genius. So Mm -hmm. making sure you're bringing people on that you're asking them questions in an area that they're passionate about really makes a difference. And that's going back to that white, hot light that burns inside mm-hmm. you. You're exactly right. I do not want my fashion designer, my person who's my stylist, doing anything with my finances. Because right. we will be down the wrong path. <laughs> I'll be living in those shoes on the street. <laughs> Absolutely. However, at the same time, you don't want your financial planner you know, getting you dressed up for the night out on the town because you'll be wearing penny loafers and, <laughs> you know, fabrics that do not work well with each other. Right, right. So, yeah, that, that's a perfect analogy, and it makes all the sense, all the sense. So we often talk about journaling in our practice as a healing modality, from healing in terms of stress and diet to journaling the emotional journey or path as a part of a trauma-informed care regimen. How do you incorporate journaling into your life professionally and personally? So when I die, I hope someone wants my journals because I have stacks and stacks and stacks. I'm a journaler and I journal to track my health. I journal to track my blood sugars. I journal to track my uric acid levels. I journal very statistical things Mm -hmm. and then I journal emotional things. Journaling is one of the most powerful tools that we can use to clear out our brain, get a different perspective, and start creating it on paper. Wow, I love that. And you mentioned not just tracking the emotional component, but some of your actual numbers. Mm -hmm. I find some people get caught up in the numbers, especially when we're dealing with IVF and, you know, Sell the uh, egg count and oh. what was this and yeah. what was my LH and what was my estradiol? What was my TSH and what was, you know, what are my numbers today? How many follicles did I get? How do you balance the uh, journaling, the emotional and not letting the actual numbers of things overwhelm you so that you're still deriving benefit without detracting from the actual goal? Right. It's a balance and you have to find that place that works for you for my brain and how it's wired, 
-hmm. I want the feedback, but the feedback is neutral data. It doesn't determine my worth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change my value. It doesn't make my day better or worse. It's neutral data that I'm taking in so that I can make the best decisions going forward. Now, if you start letting that data dictate your emotions, you, you're you all over the place right. and your magnesium is being lost because your cortisol goes up and then we're negating all the things that we want to do for health. Right. So definitely how I started and how I do it now has really grown and changed as I've learned and healed and I'm still on that healing journey. Mm -hmm. And so making sure you're doing it in a way that works for you, that you're not getting stuck in the numbers is really important. That is, that is so very true. And it's, and it's still very challenging, especially when you're attaching those numbers to an outcome Mm -hmm. or attaching those numbers to this is where I should be, or this is where I could be, or this is what the doctor said is the target and I'm not Mm -hmm. there yet or attaching it to deadlines or timelines that may or may not be realistic for you given the right. your starting point. And but I think I, keeping it neutral is so yes. important because maybe there is an outcome of a pregnancy or a very specific something that you very dearly want to experience. And so it can be very easy to get wrapped up in that. Yeah. And so making sure neutral data, every time I look at my data, I remind myself, This is neutral feedback. I'm putting it into a computer. I pretend like, okay, data coming in, and now I'm making the best decision to move forward. Yep, and that's the input, and what you do with that information is the output. And neutral data is a very uh, nice way to look at things and a good, kind of like a good framework to help that overwhelm, especially when, you know, numbers are, you know, all around us and swirling around us and every one of those numbers definitely supposedly means something. So as we talk about overwhelm, overwhelm often seems like an emotion that comes up whenever we're addressing complex health challenges. We just gave uh, fertility challenges as an example. Please share your unique perspective Mm -hmm. about overwhelm and how to effectively address its potentially crippling effects. So my husband made a comment to me once and he said, if I had a nickel for every time you said, I'm so overwhelmed, I would be a rich man. And so I really started dissecting overwhelm. And here's my philosophy on overwhelm. Overwhelm is not an emotion. It's a Mm. lack of action. And so when that overwhelm kicks in, it's because I've learned so many things and I can't decide where to start and I'm stuck in indecision. And Mm. so I now use that overwhelm as an indicator. Oh, I'm learning. I love the process of learning. I'm learning too much. I need to now apply action and choose something to move forward because we're becoming the most educated sick people to walk the planet. And we've got so much education. There's so much that we can learn. It's 24 seven. I'm old enough. I can remember when the TV turned off the little bee would go to bed at nighttime, but my grandchildren have access to information 24 hours a day if they wake up in the middle of the night and and now you don't even have to wait for your favorite show to come it's it's there for you anytime that you want to call it up and that's a real shift Mm -hmm. and so that overwhelm is kicking in more and more and so to me it's a call to action oh i'm overwhelmed what am i going to put into action because all of that research That's not what gets us healthy. It's when we apply what we've learned or what the doctor has shared with us that we start creating help. Yeah, and that's that bridge between knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And knowledge is that accumulation of facts and information and data. But wisdom is the practical application of all that knowledge. And, you know, we can, again, we can amass all of this stuff up here, but if it's just up here, It's just facts. It's just or information. Sometimes it's not even facts, but information. But if we don't ever use it, it just stays there and it can grow old and get dusty Mm -hmm. and moldy and all the other things. But it needs to be put into 
action so that it can be wisdom. And wisdom is what truly helps us grow because we're able to put all those facts, all that knowledge, all that information into action, into play. Mm -hmm. We're able to see how it matters in practical terms. And it seems like that's, you know, so basic, but there is this massive disconnect between wisdom and knowledge and facts and information and be able to decipher that. My husband looked at me once and said, are you just collecting watercolor paint supplies or are you ever going to watercolor? And it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. I was in the mode of collecting art supplies. Yeah. And until I started practicing and learning the tools and putting the wisdom in my fingers, I'll never be the artist that I want to be. So truly that applies to so many areas in our life besides just help. Yeah. And it's like practice. Mm-hmm. You can go, you can show up to game day every time you, every day, but if you've never put in the work, the practice, you're never going to be able to perform optimally. Right. And I think a lot of times we're so accustomed to show again, that instant, okay, I'm going to take the supplement and then I'm going to get better tomorrow, or I'm going to have a surgery and that'll relieve everything. But yet it's been years, sometimes decades of a practice way of being And that didn't happen overnight. So the answer, the healing process is not going to manifest itself overnight either. Right. And really being able to put in that work, put in the, you know, gain the information, but actually put it into practice consistently is also very important. Yes. White light. You've changed my vision of my why. Like I have now attached white light to that. And the word consistently is so important and Mm -hmm. matching our expectations with our actions and what's realistic because we didn't get here in two weeks, but most people give up after two weeks of trying a new thing. And so balancing those two is so important. And being consistent is hard. Being consistent is tricky, especially when it's pretty much diametrically opposed to the thing that you're trying to find a solution for. Mm -hmm. And so you're, again, I tell people all the time, it's like you're right now on a runaway train or a bus with no brakes with the brake line cut. You just can't stand in front of the bus and say, stop. No, you need to like put the things down on their tracks that like pop the tires. You need to do all the things, you know, pump the brakes, you need to pull it back, rein it back, and then you also need to push it back up the hill. So all of that's going to be work. It's not going to be a simple thing is, I'm just going to tell the bus to stop. And then the bus stops when it's going 90 miles per hour downhill. No. Another powerful visual. Oh, I love, because it does, it takes more than just saying, please stop. I love that. Such a powerful visual. And And it's harder to make it not just stop, but to get it back up the hill, you've got to do all like some really manual labor to push that. And it's going to take sweat. It's going to take tears. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get angry. How did this bus get here in the first place? Why did I let it get so far out of control? If this is too hard, I might as well just give up. All of those things are happening, but it can happen because along the way, you're not just going to be pushing the bus by yourself. There are going to be some people coming in to help you. Yeah. There's going to be some other things like, you know, and once you get to the top of that hill, again, you still got to work to make sure it stays there and it doesn't get out of control again. But so very important. So I like sometimes it's just the basics that can get us back. Um, So talk to me about your parasite protocol masterclass. We don't really talk about um, parasites in terms of we talk about viruses. We talk about bacteria. Every once in a while, you'll hear something, you know, in the periphery or something FDA said something over here. But talk to us about that parasite protocol. So parasite protocol, I had parasites and that's what was driving my arthritis. My arthritis got so much easier to manage. And it basically comes down to making sure you have good bile function. Our bile is meant to stop the reproduction of parasites in our gut. And if your bile gets off, that's not happening. And my bile got off. And once that happens, you don't have the ability to keep that bacteria balanced in your gut. And so just helping people understand how to 
get that biofunctional again and making sure that you're restoring balance back to your gut. And what are some of the ways that bile function and bile um, balance gets imbalanced? How does one get to a point where it's, we know it's bile or that we know it's something else? How did you know that it was um, a bile imbalance versus something else? So I had a really wise person on my board of directors that said, mm -hmm. I want you to drink grapefruit juice every morning. And I said, that's an old person food. I don't want to drink <laughs> grapefruit juice every morning and she said do it for two weeks and then tell me what happens on an empty stomach and so I did and I could not believe the difference that it made for me and grapefruit has a natural ability to thin out your bile and mm. my bile was thick and so it's just that trial and error and figuring out what your body needs, part of that bus and pushing mm -hmm. it up and realizing, oh, that one I didn't need, but I've got to hold the bus with one hand and yep. this one I do need. And right. so it was just through the process of learning about my body, tapping into my digestion, that I realized that bile was an issue for me. I mm. had some signs of gallbladder issues, but not enough to um, to surgically do anything to it. And so right. I realized I want to get on top of this before that gallbladder needs to be taken out. And so bile became very much something that I wanted to be a part of, be, of understanding because our society has lost the component of bitter. And mm. bitter is what keeps that bile functioning. And right. if you go to traditional cultures, that are tapped into their traditional foods, they have bitter, a bitter mm -hmm. component. And it right. will be different in each culture, but we've lost that. We yeah. don't have that bitter component. We've got sweet components, sweet, mm -hmm. sweet, sweet, sweet in everything we do. And that's changed our taste buds. And because of that, our gut function has decreased. And so right. bringing back that bitter component and bringing better function to my bile was a huge part of me tapping into better digestion. It's almost like you have like are telepathically like setting me up for the next question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's just a smooth transition between sugar, salt and fat as society. We have a long way to go in terms of moderation and you just spoke to sugar. Mm -hmm. um, and I read a book the other day and it was talking about sugar, salt and fat and how sometimes it's telling us, you know, non-fat, low fat, high fat, good fat. What's, you know, all those things, low salt, low sodium, sugar free, oh, so sugar substitutes. Like it's just like it's a, it, it blows my mind, like yeah. how all of these industries have capitalized on making sugar the enemy, making salt the enemy, making fat the enemy, and then all of these different things. Yet there's large sects of the population that have addiction to food. And then inside that food addiction, it's the sugar addiction, it's the salt addiction, it's the fat, and not even, you know, the good fats, but like the right. ones that are not healthy, right. um, the trans fats. So of the three, you have a particular focus on sugar, um, viewing it as an addiction. So tell us more about your approach to breaking that sugar craving cycle. I, I see so many women starting and stopping. They start pushing that bus up and then they stop and it, right. it pushes them back down. And then they push the bus back up again. But the second time, they're not only pushing the bus, they're clubbing themselves that they gave up the first time yeah. while they push the bus back up and yeah. that process gets repeated over and over and over with sugar and every time they stop they push the bus bus back up again with a bigger club to beat themselves up and wow. i realized that sugar cycle was increasing that negative dialogue which mm -hmm. in the long run was making the magnesium that they were soaking in be pushed out of their body. They were becoming higher magnesium burn rate people. They were utilizing it more because of the high stress level. And so I realized if I can help give them some tools to balance the sugar, and for some people that means none. 
And for mm. other people, that means balance and some. It depends on how your brain is wired. Right. But if I can pull them out of that cycle, a lot of that negative dialogue is stopped. And a lot of the beating themselves up is stopped and just moving forward instead of binging and then giving up and then getting healthy and then binging and then giving up and then focusing on health. And if right. I can get them out of that three-step cycle, they're more empowered. And not right. I get them out. I just share some tools and yeah, they're you the ones who you facilitate the, the process? Because yeah. sometimes we, I believe we all have the strength to do the work. But sometimes we've been on that loop for so long. We've been on that wheel for so long. We don't even see the exit. We want to get off. Or we just need a clear path on like, okay, this is the exit sign. You don't have to keep staying on the wheel, running toward the exit sign. Here's the exit. Here's the off ramp. Here's how to do it. I'm going to hold your hand while we do this. And once you're off, you're going to, you'll be able to go on this path and not get back on again. So some people, again, want to get off. We just don't have the strength, the courage, the confidence, the know-how to stop or the, the cycle. community. Sometimes yes. I think we feel so alone and we've got this shame factor like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to know. The right. same with soda. I'm on Diet Coke again. I gave it up for two years and yeah. now I'm drinking it. My Diet Coke habit, oh my gosh, I went back and forth and back and forth and back and mm -hmm. forth forever. And it was such... It was driven by such shame. I was so embarrassed yeah. because I'd be off it and then I'd think, oh, I'm just going to have it with some Mexican food. Yeah. Just one isn't going to hurt me. And so just being more real about that and talking to people about it, I realized, oh, I'm not alone. And then coming up with some solutions to help me with that exit strategy was critical. Right. So I want to help people with that exit strategy. And you, again, hit on another important component of community. It is easy to start, but to stay consistent and to stay on that straight and narrow, on that path, you cannot do it alone. Mm -hmm. There's an African proverb that goes something similar to if you want to go fast, you know, if you want to go fast, you, you're going to go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together. Oh, and I love that. that. I've so never important. heard that before. Oh, yeah. I just want to sit with that. I want to go journal. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to fill a whole journal tonight. White light and that. That That is really powerful. And yeah. and I think because we, we can't, try we're to none go of us are islands. Yeah, right. none of us are islands. And oh, even when we are so, working by ourselves. Say that again. Say that again to me. I want to hear that again. Say none again. of us are islands. None of us are islands. Mm. We cannot function. We were not designed to operate in solitude. People are put in prison in solitary confinement as punishment. Mm. But yet so often we value this like independence and I did this by myself and I don't need anybody. And we wear it like a red badge of courage when mm. actually we can get more accomplished if we work together. That synergy is what helps the growth, the development, the health, the wellness, the healing, because you're not doing it alone. That's what makes groups like Weight Watchers and all the other groups and community and support groups makes them so successful because you're you're pulling off somebody else's strength and somebody else is pulling off yours. And together, yeah. you're always going to be better. So, yeah. So beautiful. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for sharing welcome. that with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, in general, I know we've been talking about, you know, not leaving any stone unturned, mm -hmm. not like really like trying to figure out and not just uh, picking up one thing and trying it for a little bit, but really working on what's the thing that works for you? Because there isn't any one size fits all health and wellness yeah. regimen that's going to work for me, that's going to work for you, that's going to work for her, that's going to work for him. Because one, we have a thing called hormones and hormones mm -hmm. do a, like a number all across the life cycle. <laughs> Oh, You're talking to someone in menopause. I have a whole new appreciation for hormones and what they do in my life. <laughs> and again, they, they have a very important function, but depending on what we eat, our mm -hmm. thyroid levels, our cortisol, our stress, all of those things are going to go wonky. So starting off with something that's cyclical, not just every month, but all across the life cycle, we are dealing with the hormonal component. Then we add foods that may have their own level of hormones, synthetic and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we, over, we consistently ignore the fact that 
our food isn't just what it is. Broccoli isn't just broccoli anymore. And chicken isn't just chicken anymore. We really got to look at where it was grown, how it was raised, what it was injected with or not injected with, how it was sourced, how it was harvested. And even that is a lot of homework to do when we're trying to consider health and wellness. But when you mention like not leaving any stone unturned, that philosophy doesn't just thought, start or start with a dietary regimen or a um, lifestyle in terms of exercise or any of these things or supplementation. And I want to go back to that board of directors, like really determining, not leaving any stone unturned in terms of who you have on that board of directors. A lot of times you get a gynecologist or a primary care physician and they've been your, they were your moms or your sisters or your best friends and you just stay with them even though they are no longer serving. So talk about that no stern unturned philosophy, even as you select that board of directors. So just last week, I started with a new practitioner and I realized about halfway into it, she's not a good fit for me. Mm -mm. She's dismissed my symptoms. Mm -hmm. She's dismissed my experience and that doesn't work for me. And so I turned over that stone to work with mm -hmm. her and then put it back down. Not yeah. that she was bad or I was bad. It just wasn't a good fit for what I was looking for. But I knew specifically what I was looking for. Right. I knew some foundational pieces to the relationship that I wanted with her. And right. it wasn't something that she had to offer me. Right. And so at that point, instead of sticking with her, trying to make her be what I needed, I realized, oh, we're, we're, I'll make this where we're both free of each other yes. and found yeah. someone else. Yeah. Went to that appointment and immediately was listened to, validated, and different tests ended up being run for my hormones, mm -hmm. by the way. And it was day and night different experience. Right. And so I think sometimes we go to our medical team and we expect the first one to be everything to right. us. And we have to recognize it may take a couple of tries and a couple of times of picking up a different stone and figuring something else out. And it's a very individual journey of when to put the stone back down because mm -hmm. it's not working or if you're putting it back down because you're giving up right. and just tired of it and you haven't been consistent enough. And mm -hmm. that becomes a real internal dialogue driven by gut feeling, you know, depending if you're a heart-led person by how you feel, if you're a real thinker by what you think, that right. becomes a very individual growth in of itself to learn when's the right time to let it go versus if I hung on for three more months, would this be successful? Right. And a lot of times, I think, especially as women, we are, I don't know if it's internal guilt or what it is or not wanting to hurt feelings, we'll take on the short end of the stick so as not to be perceived as being offensive to the person on the other side. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, the damage is being done to us. Mm -hmm. And that provider-patient relationship and that rapport is one of the most important relationships that you're going to have, especially when you consider that your health and wellness is ever-evolving, ever-changing, and it's crucial to how you engage and plug into your life. Mm -hmm. And so it's not doing you a, a service to stay in a relationship that is not working. You wouldn't stay in a relationship or it's not necessarily abusive, but it could be negligent. Mm -hmm. It could you're, they're not just plugging into you. They're not paying attention to the things that you're saying, how you're feeling, what you're mm -hmm. reflecting. And staying in that provider relationship, while it may not be abuse, it could be neglect. Mm -hmm. And those aren't healthy relationships to stay in. And by staying in those relationships, not only are we feeding into a system that is already has its shortcomings, but mm -hmm. we're just allowing practitioners and providers who aren't giving you their best to continue being subpar, average, and you're still not getting what you need from them. And the cost of healthcare, the cost of all the associated medical costs are way too high for you to be dissatisfied, unsatisfied, unhappy, 
disappointed day in and day out with that with that relationship. It's just not worth it. So really being able to say when make that decision. And I think we know when that decision is. We can feel it. Mm-hmm. But it's that confidence to be able to say, and this is where we end. It wasn't you. It was me. I need something more. And maybe it was nothing wrong with you and what you're doing, but it's not working well with me and not with any malice or hard feelings or animosity. It wasn't. And it wasn't that either of us had done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. We both had different needs and were in very different places on our journey. And I love that you talked about as a woman that we're willing to take the short end. And Mm -hmm. I call that good girl energy. You know, good girls, you be quiet, you sit down in the corner, and you look pretty, and you don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And that's that good girl energy that we buy into to make everybody else's life really good, to make her feel comfortable on her journey, when in actuality, we were there to focus on my hormonal needs. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be so careful not to buy into that good girl energy and advocate for ourselves. But at the same time, we don't have to go to resting brat face while we do that. We can be kind and gracious. Mm -hmm. I don't have to put her down. She's not a horrible provider. It's just not a good fit. Right. And unless there's actual physical damage or something Mm -hmm. that was done um, physically to harm you, that's okay for it not to be a good fit. Right. That is acceptable. But I, the same, in that same breath, it's not acceptable for you to stay in that relationship either. You're, that's also not acceptable. So that's where that personal responsibility Mm -hmm. and that taking responsibility for your health and wellness comes into play. Because we talk about insurance and, you know, mm-hmm. certain you know, places don't necessarily take cover this or they don't cover that. However, when people start, the insurance providers start saying, wow, this pro- provider is really getting, you know, seeing a lot of people for this. Or they're, you know, trying to use their FSA or their HSA benefits for this. That's how you shift the system because they're like, wow, this is, this is where it's at. A lot of people are utilizing this mechanism or this service or this modality for some reason. And that's where the shift takes place. But if you're still going to the same doctor, doing the same thing, the same way, all it does is feed into the system that they're doing something right. They keep going back. And you're just continuing to uphold a broken system, but complaining about the system that you're in. That's when you have to take personal responsibility for the role you play in the system that you're game that you're playing in. I, I, I love that. You just so eloquently wrapped up that our vote matters and we vote with what we're doing Mm -hmm. and the choices that we make. And I think that's where we can buy into that. uh, It doesn't really matter but collectively it does. We have to stand up and say, this isn't working. I just got a medical bill that was ridiculous. I asked them to itemize it. It was about 22,000 more than I thought it would be. And when she handed me the itemized list, I was able to sit down with her and we went through it. I never received that. That Mm -hmm. didn't happen. That didn't happen. And She said, I think this happens all the time, but people very seldom ask for that Mm -hmm. itemized list. And when we start, I think, kindly Mm -hmm. holding people to that accountability, that's how we vote to create change. Yes. And that's where our agency comes in. And there's so many people who don't have that agency that are subject to these type of practices, but we do. But it does take doing that extra step, being conscientious, taking the extra time to, hmm, $22,000 more than I anticipated. That's not 22 cents more. That's not $22 more. That's a whole expense more. And wait a minute, this never happened. We talk about informed consent and, you know, things of that nature. Your informed consent requires you signing a piece of paper and making sure that you are agreeing to everything that happened in that appointment. And a lot of times people are like, okay, it's an informed consent. I'm just going to sign it. But wait a minute. Before you sign that, did you get all the information? Did you receive the benefits, the alternatives, the reasons why, the rationale? It's, it's some, again, it's a system that, you know, we just shove paperwork in front of people. It's a stack big. Mindlessly like a sign. 
sign, sign, sign. I just want to get in and get out. Right. But at the end of the day, you're now holding, being responsible for signing those papers. Right. And you put your name on it. And now you're already now in a system that you can't get out of either. So right. it's, it's, again, it's a broken system that we're continuing to uphold with our roles and our it's lack of engagement. Choices. Yes. And there's so many other choices out there, but we're not even being given the option to explore those because of some of the things that we're continuing to uphold with our elected behaviors. All right. So talk to me about honey garlic ferment. Oh, you get all over my website. Yes. Okay. I'm, so but before you go, before uh, yes. you do that, I want to say my grandma was a oh. wise woman and oh. she was my first herbalist. And so she really? used honey garlic as a healing <gasps> remedy quite really? often. Very oh. familiar, very oh. familiar, very oh. familiar. So tell us how you employ honey garlic as a medicinal remedy. Oh my gosh. So I call it, you know, sometimes we go to the doctor when we don't have what I call the grandma wisdom in place. Yes. And honey garlic ferment is a part of that grandma wisdom. Yes. And it is something I never want to be without. Yes. Um, I use it for flavoring and sauces and marinades. I use it if I'm feeling sick. I take mm -hmm. it orally. If I, you know, you wake up and you just think, oh, I, I'm mm -hmm. just feeling a little off. The garlic um, takes on a completely different flavor profile. It goes from sharp to buttery and almost caramel-like yeah. the longer that it sits. And it is truly something that develops and gets better the With longer that. that it sits yes. there. I have, I finally, because I tend to give my honey garlic ferments away, like, oh, you need this, here, have mm -hmm. it. And I wanted a legacy ferment. So mm -hmm. once that honey garlic ferment hits five years, yeah. it's considered a legacy ferment because yeah. it's just gotten so developed mm -hmm. in its complexity and its flavor. I finally have kept enough for myself that I have a legacy ferment, but I love the fact you have that memory with your grandmother what did she put in her garlic honey ferment? Was it anything besides garlic? Talk to me about one, that. Yeah, the basic ones were just literally honey and garlic. Okay. But she had, my grandmother's from the South, and so okay. she had um, like an outer, not an outhouse just for use in the bathroom, but like mm -hmm. an outhouse that was like her storage. Oh. And you would open it up, and they were talking floor to ceiling mason jars. Oh, and some just, of that stuff, I was oh. like, what is in here? Because it was so, some things had to be kept, and she would have to like turn things depending oh, on the time of the year. Right? Oh, she had to know where that. the sun was, the moss was. Oh. She'd have to like put this next to this because this was, and I was like, it was like walking into a dispensary, oh. but like an old lady's dispensary. Collective and she's like, oh, you can't wisdom. keep this stuff in the house. You've got to take this in at the first full moon of the last oh. heart. All, it was so oh, many different things. And when I was a kid, I'm thinking, this woman's crazy. Like, what is all this stuff in here? And some of it was, like you said, was kept for like, oh, that was in the way back because she's never, like, that's not going to be touched until, you know, that had been years. That had been in there for years. And it was like almost celebratory when you have to take, out the, take that out and use it. And I was like, how long has this been in here? We're going to eat this? Are we going to put this in our bodies? You're going to use this in food? But it was, she talked about, this had certain, like, certain onions. This had certain, like, and she would, like, grate the onions and onion juice and put that in there and different peppers and just blend it all up. Again, like you said, some of it was used as seasoned food. Some of it was used medicinal, meaning, like, you're taking a, she would get in there, get a spoon, mix it all up, and you would ingest it. Some of it she would put on salves. I was a migraine sufferer, so sometimes she would go up that, make a salve, and put it on my forehead or on my oh. belly or my underarms or my groin, or the bottom of my feet. Oh. Um, and it was just like all of those things. So when I saw honey ferment, I was like, Grandma! Oh, yes. oh, that, what a legacy you have. Oh, yes. That's, that, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had someone say, oh, that's a little outdated. You know, there are more up-to-date things, but I think mm -hmm. it's so interesting with science 
And science is only as good as what we've discovered. Yeah. And with science, for a long time, the old timers used to talk about planting their crops yep. with the full moon and that mm -hmm. you got a better sprouting, your mm -hmm. seeds grew better with the full moon. And science said, oh, that's ridiculous. It's an old wives' tale. And now scientists know that the full moon pulls the moth cycle. Yes. And the moths would eat the bad bugs. Mm -hmm. And so the bugs were not attacking the crops to get food because of the cycle of the moon. Yeah. And it's very scientific. It's but old timers nice. were just tapped into that wisdom. Yep. And your grandmother <laughs> sounds like she was tapped into so much of that wisdom of just those basic forgotten things. What? What a legacy. Oh, my it, goodness. It truly is. And it truly is because my mom still has some of those. Like, when after she passed away, they went in and oh. she remembered. She was like, between my mom and my aunts, they would go in. There were, some would remember what she did with this or some would remember oh. what. And they have some of that stuff that they're still, like, in that cycle of. And I remember the oh. first time after she passed when we, like, opened one of those jars and they were just like talking and telling stories about, remember when she made this and how she put yeah. it in and what we used it for? And sometimes yeah. they couldn't quite remember, okay, exactly wow. how did, you know, did we use it for, but they knew enough. And it yeah. was just watching them like go down memory lane and watching them wow. tell stories. It brought her to life again, mm. but it also showed me that there is nothing new under the sun. Science can is going to have the same tenets and it's going to, but it goes back to nature. We have everything that we need. Everything that we need is already there. We just have to learn how to take care of it, nurture it, and so that we can give back the way we're getting from and not abuse or you know misuse. And but it's all right there at our fingertips. We just gotta use it responsibly. And every synthetic drug is made from an active ingredient from a plant. I mean, that's what it is, but then it's filled yeah. with all the other stuff. Right. But my thing is, why not just go right to the source and right. use it appropriately? And that, again, it's just, I keep going back to like, you know what, your grandma was your first herbalist. Like she knew all these things. She knew how to, you know, put all these things together for healing. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, it's in my DNA. And I feel like that's oh. you know, living naturally and like that whole concept she put in me and what DNA you have <laughs> bring, oh, it, bring it back wow. bring it back <laughs> that's that and we're we're losing that wisdom because yeah. we're not growing up next to our grandmother yeah. and right. and we're losing that wisdom and i think it's so important that we share that wisdom so I don't live next door to my granddaughter, but right. I can share it with my neighbor. Um, I yeah. do share it with my granddaughter when yeah. I'm with her, and I hope that she'll have a memory when she smells something. I actually use a specific, I use orange essential oil when I mm -hmm. um, create activities for my grandkids, like a sand bucket yeah. or sea glass hunting, right. and I use that same scent every single time. Mm -hmm. And my dream is that when my grandkids peel an orange, they think oh, of you. Yes. Oh, remember when we were with grandma yes. at the ocean? And yes. I want them connecting that scent and unlocking all of those beautiful memories. Because when we're connected deeply to each other, it decreases our stress levels. That's the, that's healing. What, and right what there. a privilege for me today to be yes. connected to you. What yes. so many visuals that you've given me and sharing with me your story of of the honey ferment that means so much to me. I I thank you so much for your time today because that that was beautiful. I've never known anyone that actually I, had that memory. What what a beautiful treasure I have now caring of you and I feel a little bit connected to you and your grandmother yeah again I felt the same way because I was like am I reading this that can't just be it <laughs> because it was, that's how it was labeled you know the, the ginger you know there was sometimes it was ginger but yeah. just having that honey, honey <sighs> garlic uh, was written on the label I mean I can see it clear as day so as we wrap up how, what advice can you give those individuals who are interested in living the good life naturally, but just don't know where to begin? How are you helping women 
ask better questions of their providers in terms of building their board of directors? What advice can you give so that they can start that process? I think it is important before you go to your provider and ask those questions that you have your grandma wisdom in place. Mm, And I think three things, if I could share walking an hour in the morning sunlight. Yeah. One hour in the morning sunlight, get that insulin into those cells, decrease the inflammation from that beautiful, glorious sunlight and get you soaking in magnesium. And so many of the things that women experience go away when they have that those basics in place. And then you can go. Repeat those three things. So walking an hour in the morning sunlight. Yes. The morning sunlight, the rays, the colors of the sun are different in the early morning than in the afternoon or the evening. And Mm -hmm. they have been shown to reduce inflammation in our bodies. And so that walking gets the insulin going into the cell. We know 80% of women are insulin resistant. We'll never have balanced hormones if we're (laughs) insulin resistant. And walking is the most powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And soaking in magnesium to activate your stored vitamin D to your active vitamin D. And then when you do go to your provider, you will have different questions because your foundation will be strong. And a lot of your symptoms will be gone. And then your provider can get in there and help you determine where do we need to go next? Yeah, absolutely. I love this. I love that. Those are wonderful gems. Any additional resources that you can suggest for our listeners who want that whole person approach to your their health, wellness, and healing? Connecting with women, mm-hmm. asking questions of women, making sure in this time we're recording this podcast in 2022, making sure that as the world, we've lost some of our connections, that you're taking the time to reconnect with people and it's, I know I feel like I've lost social skills. Social mm. skills are like a muscle. Yeah. And if we don't use them, we lose them. And I'm even doing little things when I go to the grocery store and check out. I make sure I'm looking into their eyes and I ask them, how's your day today? I'm wanting to reconnect with people. And when we're connected, we're more aware. And when we're more aware, we're making better dialogue with our providers. So it's up to us to build that strong foundation. And that support. Mm-hmm. Those are, it was a small thing, that eye contact. Mm-hmm. But that is that I see you. Yeah. I value you in that moment. Even if you never see her again, in that moment, mm-hmm. she was seen and valued. Mm-hmm. Or he or that person, mm-hmm. you saw them, you valued them in that moment. And I think that's so important because it doesn't take a lot of work but those small things, those small interactions are valuable, especially in times such as these. Yeah. I had one of the clerks, I, before I go through the checkout line, mm-hmm. I make a very conscious, like, just to send them love and, and just, you know, think about them. And she burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at her and she yeah. said, you were here for, I mean, she felt that. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful moment for both of us. And she had lost her grandmother. And she said, all my family's gone. I don't really have anyone. And she just needed some connection. And there are days I need that connection. And someone's there for me. And I think just paying that forward and making sure that those connections that we have are meaningful, even if it's a grocery store, you know, just going through the grocery store. It means something. Yeah. And you don't know what, who it means something to, Mm -mm. because what the... You don't know what they're going through. Yeah. You that didn't, that didn't cost you anything. That Did didn't you cost have, you anything. Yeah. Did you have any idea today how meaningful this podcast would be for me? <laughs> Not the at story all. story that you shared no, no. with me? Not like, I do podcasts all the time. Yeah. I had no idea the rich fabric you would bring to my life with yeah. the stories that you shared with me. Right. That's a beautiful moment. We need to be creating more of those. And it doesn't cost a lot. No. It just costs the investment of time and caring. Intention, having that intention. intention. Yeah. Any parting words of wisdom? Um, listen to all your podcasts. 
I'm going to go listen, go listen to her podcast. Can you hear the wisdom coming out of this person's mouth? It's incredible. So I am going to take my own advice and go listen to all of them. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for Thank the human you. that you are. I appreciate are. your being with me, being with us during this time. And it's best, definitely been valuable and enriching for everyone, I'm pretty sure. So thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for joining Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.